A warm welcome to you this morning if you're visiting us. It's great to have you with us. We're working through a short series of about six or seven weeks uh, leading up to our 20th anniversary birthday as a church on the 21st of October. So put that in your diary. Sunday the 21st of October. Please do be here as we celebrate 20 years of God's faithfulness to us. Although God's been faithful forever. (laughs) But he's been faithful to us for 20 years as well. So... Um, so please put that date in your diary. Uh, and as we've been leading up to that, we're doing a, a series called Jubilee 20, uh, looking at a chapter from the writings of the Old, of the Old Testament um, and an Old Testament prophet called Isaiah. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn it or find it on your phone to Isaiah. And we're reading from chapter 61. And really, this chapter is probably the best description of the year of Jubilee in the Bible. Every 50 years, what happened in the Old Testament was that they would have this wonderful time called Jubilee where um, uh, people who had been slaves would be freed, that debts would be um, uh, done with that land that had been given away or sold um, to to pay for things would be returned. It was a wonderful time of freedom and celebration. And and really, Isaiah is saying, or God's saying through Isaiah, but Isaiah is saying, when God's anointed servant comes, it'll look like the year of Jubilee, but even more. And, And so we get Jesus when Jesus comes on the scene and enters the temple and he's given the scroll to read. He opens it to Isaiah 61. And when he reads Isaiah 61, this, this wonderful description of freedom and celebration, and he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He's saying, this is what my mission is. This is what I'm all about. He's saying, look, the year of Jubilee finds true fulfillment in me. And we see that in his life, don't we? And we see that in his death and in his resurrection and in the early church. And we see today that Jesus is still bringing freedom and life in this world through you and I, the church. And so after praying, we felt, that, uh, we felt led to come to Isaiah 61 and look at these different, some different groups that we find in this passage And so today, we're looking at the nations. And if you're thinking, well, okay, right, I think this will simply be a sermon about how Christianity is growing in other nations, or, you know, this is simply a message about welcoming people from other nations in our midst to Jubilee, then think again. In both those things, I hope you'll leave encouraged, because they're good things. But there's much more for us here. Much bigger. So let's read this passage and then we're going to pray. Isaiah 61. We're going to read 1 to 6 and then we're going to read 10 to 11. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour 
and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They'll be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities they'll have, that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and your vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. And then down to verse 10. You kind of get this wonderful burst of a song. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for as the soil makes the young plant come up and a garden causes seed to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Father God, we thank you for the freedom we know in you. Thank you that we can celebrate and enjoy it in our worship. Thank you as we come to your word. We get to celebrate, enjoy freedom. And we get to know more of you. And we get to um, see what you have for us. And, and so I, I ask this morning, be with us. Keep speaking to us. Keep coming alive to us and afresh to us as you do each day. And fill us and send us out. Amen. Amen. I grew up in a very English village. Oh, we've got a picture. There we go. Yes. Nettleham in the rural county of Lincolnshire. I really want to tell you some interesting facts about Nettleham. But I can't. <laughs> I've tried. It's really dull. It is. I even looked on Wikipedia, the fount of all knowledge. There's just nothing. There's some stuff about how many times it's been best kept village and things like that. But it's dull. Oh, it's so dull. It's pleasant. It's really nice. I'd encourage you, if you're ever in Lincolnshire, to visit it. But it's really dull. I had a friend, okay, who, who married a girl from one of the most violent neighbourhoods in New York. And she would come to Nettleham and be utterly confused. You know, we went to visit her in New York, for, in her home neighbourhood, and it was like, seriously, it was like, right, I think the gunshots have stopped. We'll go out now. She comes to Nettleham. The most dangerous thing that can happen to you in Nettleham is that you might fall in the stream that runs through it. <laughs> Mess with her head. And there's people going around saying, hello, me duck, because that's what we say in, Nettle in Lincolnshire. <laughs> me duck. People are calling you duck. Have you come across that? Me duck. Ducky. Uh, what? It's a dull, dull place. So, so, this traditionally, culturally white, English place. But here's the thing. At our village church, I would meet the nurse from Iraq. 
who married an English guy. I would meet the Indian doctor. I would meet the um, African-Caribbean guy who had spent most of his life in the Middle East. I'd meet the South American Latino single mum who had the most amazing Latino accent. I'd meet the Polish refugee who'd come over during the war. Not me, not, and nothing to do with our family. Unity was on display. And the church was a place where unity was on display in ethnicity and diversity. And do you know what? I appreciate that might not be everyone's experience of church, particularly perhaps if you went to a church in the 1950s in uh, Southern America where you might find white-only churches. But in a dull Lincolnshire village in the 80s and 90s, there was something beautiful about this community gathered from where people from different nations could come and center their lives on Jesus. So I've got three phrases as we look at this passage this morning and look at the nations. Jesus calls us in, Jesus calls us together, and Jesus sends us out. So let's see what's going on in this passage. See, these Jewish people of Isaiah's day, here they're hearing that God would come to them powerfully and raise them up again. And as part of that, he would draw people from the nations. He would draw them and they'd be drawn into their community. Verse 5, strangers will shepherd your flocks, foreigners will work your fields and your vineyards. Do you know what? A very shallow reading of this passage could lead you to conclude that the people of God are going to be blessed with some foreign labor. They're going to get all the jobs that they're going to get all the jobs that they don't want to do that foreigners are going to come in and do for them. But do you know what? That misses, totally misses one of the key themes of the book of Isaiah. Because that's what you have to do, don't you? You have to look at a book. When, you, when you're reading through a, through a book of the Bible, you have to look at what does the whole book say? In fact, what does the whole Bible say? But what does, this, what does the whole book say? And what's the whole book saying? And this is what Isaiah is saying. He's saying this, that God is going to use his people, his chosen people, to bless the nations, to draw the nations, to bring the nations to him. Listen, this is, these are some quotes from Isaiah. Isaiah 52, verse 10. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Isaiah 56, verse 6 and 7. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. For, and then he goes on to say, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And then Isaiah 60, he says, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. See, God's saying, my plan is not to have one people group on a small strip of land in the Middle East, but rather my plan is that through that group, 
one will come who all nations will be drawn to. And that's Jesus. That's Jesus. He says, no, no, our plan is massive. Like Andy read out to us this morning, the earth is the Lord, is the Lord's, and everything in it. See, Isaiah is packed full of prophecy and anticipation of this coming one, this anointed one. And this was hundreds of years before Jesus. In fact, the early church often called Isaiah the fifth gospel. They said, you know, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, these accounts of Jesus. But, but Isaiah is so rich and full of anticipation of the coming Messiah that, hey, we're going to call it the fifth gospel. One more quote from Isaiah, Isaiah 42. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. Islands means people a long way off. They'll put their hope in this anointed one. And, you know, Matthew, when he's writing his gospel, he includes that passage from Isaiah and he says, this is Jesus. This is the, this is, this is the Jesus who we worship and who we've come to know. See, because of Jesus, we're included in the people of God. Christianity didn't start in England and go out from there to the nations. No, no, we're included in, in this isle, because the good, good news of Jesus came to our shores. We're the ends of the earth that salvation would come to. So this picture in Isaiah 61 that Foreigners and strangers would be included in the people of God, working in the fields, shepherding the sheep, is part of Isaiah's big message, his big narrative, if you like, that people from all nations will be welcomed in to God's family. Do you know, it also means this. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, God holds out his arms to you. Do you know, perhaps you've thought, no, no, not me. Not, not from my background. No, no, not people from my estate. Not people from my nation. No, no, not with the things that I've done. No, 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 look. God holds out his arms to you. You might be thinking, do you know, you don't know. I, because of one of those things, I am too far away from God. You're not. You are not too far from him. How can I be sure? Because that's the message to these people that Isaiah is preaching. Both to, to, to the people that he's preaching to and also to the nations that he's referring to. It's not, he's saying, look, it's not about you making a way to God. It's not about you getting your life sorted and your behaviour sorted and your attitude sorted so that you can make your way and make yourself acceptable to God. It's about God coming to you. It's about this anointed one coming to you. 
It's about him dealing with all your mess and all your sin and enabling you to be right with him so that you can approach him. That's what Jesus did on the cross, didn't he? That's what Jesus did for you and I. He dealt with all our sin, all our brokenness, all our mess, because we couldn't. He came to rescue. And he removed it so that we're free to draw to him. He made a way. See, the danger in our day is either to say, I don't need freedom. I'm not that far from God. I'm not that messed up. You know, we're celebrating freedom this morning in all those songs. And perhaps you're there thinking, what do I need to be free from? I'm not that messed up. Or the opposite extreme, you're saying, well, I'm too far. I'm too far gone, God. No, no, you're not too far from him because he has made a way through his son, Jesus. And he welcomes you. Okay, so Jesus calls us in. Jesus calls us together. The church is called to be a place that reflects the good news to every nation. So don't be surprised if it's a diverse place. See, when Isaiah writes... Um, foreigners will shepherd your flocks and strangers will work your fields and vineyards. It's a picture of nations coming into this community together. He's saying you'll be a community together in such a way that you never thought was possible. Turn with me quickly to Acts 13, if you can. Acts chapter 13. We went through our series on Acts, didn't we? Just uh, not not too long ago. But Acts chapter 13, at the start, we see what the early church in a place called Antioch looked like. And it says this. um, Now, in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Oh, sorry, so so we'll just go back to the passage before. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. So they've gone to Antioch. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Okay, so that's the church in Antioch. So we've got Barnabas, a Jew, but from the Mediterranean island of Cyprus. We've got Simeon, who had the name Niger, literally black, because probably he was from South uh, Sub-Saharan Africa. We've got Lucius of Cyrene, who was from Libya, which is North Africa. We've got Menaean, who, who sounds like he had a very privileged uh, Middle Eastern background. We've got Paul, who's a Jew, but he's from modern-day Turkey. So we've got one from the Middle East, one from Asia, two from Africa, and one from the Mediterranean. It's a diverse church. And it says, it, it says in the Bible, Antioch was the place where they were first called Christians. Can you imagine? You know, of course these guys are called little, of course these guys are called little Christ of Christians. They've got nothing else in common other than this unity they've got in Jesus. Listen, I've put together a list of the different nations in Jubilee. Can we have that up? And I, there may be more. And. There may be more here this morning, but this is, this is what I think are the different nations that we have in Jubilee. Look, I've even put Gibraltarian, Gav. There you go. <laughs> have I missed anyone? Have I missed any nation? Perhaps you're here this morning and you're not part of Jubilee, but you're just visiting this morning and you're from another nation. 
You can shout it out if you want. Your wife's from uh, Czech Republic. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uganda, wonderful. Yeah. I'm sure, have I missed any others? Probably. Probably. But, you know, God has called us to be a diverse... And I'm not showing you that to be arrogant or, or so that we can be proud, but really to be thankful to God. You know, this isn't a list to say, look, this is, look, look we welcome different nationalities. No, it's, it's to say, this isn't a church that just welcomes nationalities. No, no, we're called to be the church together. If you're from another nation, we are the church, the people of God together. Listen, get to know people who are different to you. You will find it likely will shape you to be more like who Jesus has called you to be. It's a discipleship lesson. If you say to me, please disciple me, tell me some discipleship tip. Listen, here's one. Get to know someone who's different to you. Because when I do that, do you know, I, I find out if some of my behaviours, if some of my attitudes, if some of my thinking is just merely cultural, is just really merely the way I've been brought up, or because I'm white living in a predominantly white nation, it helps me to see the blind spots that I so often have. Listen, it will shape you. Incidentally, that's true not just for nationality, that's true for background, that could be true for age. Get to know people who are different for you. It will shape you and help you to be more like Christ, if you allow it to. If you want a church where everyone's the same as you, everyone has the same traditions as you, everyone thinks like you, everyone has a similar upbringing to you, well, God bless you. But you will be missing out. I promise you. You will be missing out on an opportunity for God to shape you through diversity. And there might be misunderstandings. There often are. Um, I, I recently was listening to um, a guy from our family of churches who he and his wife have gone to plant a church, start a church in Gothenburg, Sweden. And you know what? Uh, Faye was there as well. She'll know this story. But uh, Josh, Josh and Nina, their names are. And Josh was saying that in Sweden, that, this may not be true for everyone in Sweden, but he said in Sweden, what I found was I will go to the streets or the supermarket and I'll find people will just bump into me and not say anything, and I'll be saying, oh, excuse me, sorry. But everyone else won't be saying anything. He said, I thought for months, these people are just rude. But culturally, that's what happens. It's not that they're rude, it's just that they don't say, excuse me, oh, I'm really sorry. People will just bump into you. I remember when we had a wedding in Jubilee, a number of years ago now, and uh, with um, uh, a couple from the Middle East, and during the we had this kind of ceremony part for it where the, husband, the groom and the bride were at the front and the pastor was there taking, talking them through what they're doing, explaining what's happening and some of the wider family had come to the front to be with them and, and some latecomers come through the door. 
And I think it's the father of either the bride or the groom stands up, goes over, welcomes them in, chats with them, talks with them, sits them down, makes sure they're okay, gets them a bit of food from the table. Do you know, if that was an English wedding, what happens if someone's late to an English wedding? (laughs) We all turn round in disgust, don't we? As they tiptoe quietly in and take a seat. No, no, not in Middle Eastern culture. That would be rude. It's not that one's right and one's wrong. But we understand, when we get emotionally invested in one another, we find out what, what is just tradition and what we just take for granted and what we can learn from one another. And that's, do you know what? That is for the benefit of both us in our community, but also for the society around us. You know, when Jesus prays to his Father about all that will believe in him, he prays for unity, and he says, I pray they're united. Then the world will know that you've sent me. See, there's something about our unity, our diversity, that says something about, to the world about Jesus and his kingdom. It's a statement, a declaration to the world. And that brings me on to my final point. Jesus sends us out. So the, the second half of Isaiah 61 includes these verses. Verse 9. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. Verse 11. For as the soil makes the young plant come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. You know, there's something about this freedom, this release, this joy that this anointed Messiah brings going out into the whole world. We see that in Jesus' mission. Jesus really never left the surrounding regions of Judea, Galilee, uh, kind of a few bits around there. But he said his good news would be preached to all nations. He said to his followers, go and make disciples of all nations. And he sent his Holy Spirit, the power and presence of God, to be with you and I as we're sent out into the world. And just in case you're thinking... That just simply means going abroad. Let me share with you a story I recently read um, about the 19th century Scottish preacher Robert Murray McShane. If you're going to be Scottish, you're going to want a name like Robert Murray McShane. I am half Scottish. And he battled, he battled with, if I'm going to live for Jesus... Am I going to have to go abroad and be a missionary? Is that how I'm going to truly fulfill my call to live for Jesus? Or is it just the status of being a missionary that I really love? Is it the fact of you know, receiving and writing letters from a distant, far-off country? Am I just interested in the romantic aspect of being a missionary? And he wrote this in his diary. Why is a missionary life so often an object of my thoughts? He's questioning, he's asking himself, he's working it through in his own mind. Is it simply for the love I bear to souls? Then why do I not show it more where I am? Souls are as precious here, in Scotland, where he ministered, as they are in Burma, 
which was one of the nations people were going to at the time. Do you see, he didn't say he didn't believe in missionary work. God, amen to missionary work. Amen to those who feel called to the nation, uh, to a particular nation and go and are obedient in that. But he suddenly realised, I'm as much a missionary here in Edinburgh and in the surrounding parts as I would be if I went to another nation. These people need Jesus too. See, going to the nations will mean going to your street. It will mean going to your school or college. Going to the nations will mean going to your workplace and living for Jesus. Going to the nations will mean making that friend and inviting them to our next Alpha course. Going to the nations will mean welcoming those nations that have come to our doorstep from afar, and they really have in Teesside. Going to the nations will mean getting, us, getting involved and praying for what we're doing in Turkey with our friends Mikhail and Heike and, Paul and um, Andy and Jill, and getting involved and praying for our friend Michael and Mabel in Ghana and all that he is doing there. Going to the nations will be being faithful. If God puts a nation on your heart, going to the nations will mean praying and looking for opportunities to bless all that's happening in that nation. Finally, I want to finish with a verse from Revelation. Revelation, the final book in the Bible. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 says, After this I looked... And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Do you know, when God wraps up world history as we know it and as we understand it, he will draw a people and have a people for himself made up of every tribe, every nation and every tongue. Listen, as we go into our 20th year as a church, let's keep passionate for the nations. Let's keep passionate hearts for those who don't know Jesus, both here and in lands afar. And do you know what? Our only response this morning is to pray. Is to pray. And do you know what? We're going to do something a little bit different this morning as we respond. So if the band could come up, this is what's going to happen. We're going to... Um, I tell you what, first we'll do this. I want you to think of something that you can pray for, for Teesside. Okay? If you can't think of anything, think of your street. But I want you to think of something that you can pray for, for Teesside. It might be a particular issue in Teesside. It might be um, a street in Teesside. It might be your workplace. It might be your school. And I also want you to think about Something in the nation, something outside of the UK. It might be our friends in Ghana, it might be our friends in Turkey, it might be another nation that God's put on your heart. I want you to think of one thing you can pray for for Teesside, one thing you can pray for for another nation. Okay, you need to get those in your head. I'm going to pray for us. And then what we're going to do is that during this song, we're going to pray for those things. And what we're going to do is when we sing, this song, which we know it's quite an old song, but when we sing the chorus, 
the first time we sing the chorus, you are going to pray for that issue about Teesside. Okay? Can you do that? This side. While you sing the chorus. Then when we sing it a second time, you're going to sing the chorus and you're going to pray for your issue in Teesside. I'm going to help you with this. Then when we sing it the third time, you're going to pray for your nation that God's put on your heart and you're going to sing the chorus. Then the fourth time, you're going to sing the chorus and you're going to pray for that nation abroad that God's put on your heart. Easy? I promise it probably won't be. Let's pray.